Uh, what's more important, who you are or what you do? Uh, that's a question that's been asked, uh, I think, for a long time. There's a, a pastor, Noel Jesse Heikinen, answers the question in his book called Unchained. And he said down throughout history, the predominant viewpoint has been uh, what we do determines who we are. It's not a new school of thought. Aristotle said we are, rep- we are what we repeatedly do. A recent TED talk declared you are what you tweet. So, you know, what you, what you post online. Uh, each one of these proclamations, they contain some truth, but they actually are backwards as to uh, what the gospel teaches us. But Frank Zappa, of all people, got it right. He said, you are what you is. I don't know if that's the correct way to say things, but in other words, it's not what we do that determines we, who we are, but rather who we are determines what we do. The difference between Christianity and other worldly religions in, in other world or worldly religions, uh, the people make sacrifices in hopes to win the favor, win the heart of God. But in Christianity, God made the sacrifice in hopes of winning the hearts of the people. And that's a really important truth. That's, that's the good news. That's, that's a, uh, a huge part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, that w- he was the sacrifice for us. And we love it, and we remember it, and we, we, we praise God for that. And we do things to try to keep it on the forefront, but I think we forget. I think over and over we, we try to, to do. We try to do what we have to do or we think we have to do to please God. It just doesn't work that way. Well, in our story today, we're going to read about how the religious leaders were making a religion harder than it was ever meant to be. See, the, the group of leaders that we're going to talk mostly about are the Pharisees, and, and they, were, they were trying very hard. Now they always have they have a bad rap, a bad reputation of of uh, just being uh, uh, hypocritical or um, or showy, you know, just trying to put on a show for other people. And but they truthfully, it seems like they were trying very hard, and they felt that that um, that others needed to do the same. And I think we do that. But the problem them and, and with them and maybe the problem now is is sometimes other people don't try as hard, and and uh, and we say, well, those other religious people. I mean, why aren't they doing things the right way? That's, that was, that's what was going on in this story. And so we're going to go into Mark chapter 7. And it's verses 1 to 23. We'll, we'll pause a few times, though. But it says this, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Verse 5, So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? We're going to pause there. Why don't your disciples... (laughs) These, these are the people that are following your teachings, that are watching you, and you see it, you know it. Why aren't they washing their hands? I kind of kind of have to admit I agree with the Pharisees on this one. Uh, you go to Walmart, and you touch the cart, and you, you touch a bunch of stuff that other people touched, and you go eat. I, I wash my hands before I do that. Um, it's just, you know, you can almost just see the germs on your hands. It's gross, right? <laughs> well, in this situation, though, it was not about germs. 
Um, it was actually about people. It wasn't a, until around the time of the Civil War when, when people started to equate dirty hands with germs. But instead, this was a, a tradition of the elders. They, they thought that, okay, so if they went to the marketplace and there were the Gentiles, the people who weren't worshiping God, that those people were, were sinners and they were unclean. And so if I go there and I happen to touch something that one of them touched, or if I happen to rub up against one of them or touch them, then now I, I'm a sinner. It was like, it was like sin was uh, external and it was contagious, like a, like a virus of some kind. And so the ceremo- ceremonial cleaning was not to wash off germs, but a spiritual cleansing. They, had to, they even had to put their hands in a certain way to get the water, and then they'd have to turn it with their fingers up. Um, and this was, this was not about germs, but it was, it was about saying those people are sinners and they're nasty, and if I'm around them, if I want to be close to God, I've got to do this. Does that sound like Jesus at all? <laughs> no, Jesus went and spent time with the, the people that they were called sinners, you know, the, the worst, the people far from God. They're trying to wash their germs off of them. So Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. There's a, an emphasis here on the human traditions. The Pharisees believe that the traditions were of equal authority to Scripture. It was, it was oral traditions. That's what a tradition is. It was passed down. It wasn't, it wasn't the law. And it, there was even, there was six sections. It was about agriculture and festivals and women and the law and holy things and ritual purity, things that were relevant to, the, to their culture and their, their time. And it wasn't until about 200 AD that it was put on paper by uh, Rabbi Judah the Prince and called the Mishnah. Well, we're going to look at this idea then of tradition for a few minutes. It's not the only thing today, but it's important because it's a huge part of this text, and it's how they got it wrong. Because the issue led people to disobey God, to look down on others, and to ignore the good that they should be doing. I'm, I'm going to share some quotes today, quite a few actually, here in the next couple minutes, because I, I want to make sure that I um, hit this from both sides. Jesus did not say anywhere in this that tradition was bad. Um, he, he just had to address the issues at hand that were, that were stemming from the ideas of tradition. And so I'm trying my best not to make this passage into something that it's not. So author J.I. Packer said, The question then is not whether we have traditions, whether our traditions conflict with the only absolute standard on these matters, Holy Scripture. According to Tom Hostoval, traditions give us identity. They tell us who we are. They highlight our roots and tell us where we came from. They externalize our mindset and demonstrate what we believe. They set boundaries for our lifestyle by telling us how to behave. The issue, though, is that we might choose tradition over obedience to God because sometimes it's easier just to follow the tradition, follow what everyone else does and go through a ritual than to be obedient. And when we start to give tradition all this weight, then it's called traditionalism. Yaroslav Pelikan, uh, the, I think this is the last longer quote that I have uh, from someone else here, but he said that tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. 
Tradition lives in conversation with the past while remembering where we are and when we are and that it, that it is we who have to decide. Traditionalism supposes that nothing should ever be done for the first time, so all that is needed to solve any problem is to arrive at the supposedly unanimous testimony of the homogenized tradition. Well, in the, in the Christian church, we say we, we do not have traditions. Um, the Christian church is like ours from the Reformation movement. Say, it says where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. But tradition, traditions of many kind, seem to cause a lot more division in the church, uh, more issues in the church than any issue of Scripture. Even in my short time in this position, uh, I wish I could share some of the reasons why people have left the church. I won't do that. I don't really wish I could share it because I don't want to talk about it probably. But um, but if I told you, you might think, are, is, are you serious? I mean, some of these issues. Now, I'm not going to talk about those, but, but there are divisions in the church and complaints and not always directly to me. But I hear about issues of service times and dress code and building use and worship style and programs, leadership structure, technology, instruments, all traditions, they can cause problems. Even things like using the cross as a symbol. Uh, we have one right here. You know when you come in and you see a cross, it's church. I, I don't think it's all bad because it, re- it reminds us. But could you imagine if, if I put a necklace on of a, of an, a little uh, uh, electric chair or uh, I had seven guys there with guns, it was a firing squad? That's what the cross was. Yet we make it something... Maybe it probably shouldn't be. Things like an altar call or an invitation. Well, you have to do that because we've always done that. Not until about 200 years ago, an evangelist named Albert Finney started that. Now, again, they're not bad. They're not necessarily bad in themselves, but they're not the commands of God, and so we can't make them something that they're not. Even with uh, uh, when hymns uh, became... Now, think about this. Hymns, uh, the the music, the... um, from the hymnal, you know, the, the older songs, uh, we look at those, and, and that's been around forever. But actually, when they were introduced to the church, they were not popular. Before that time, the church had sung the psalms, usually in Latin. You guys want to have a Latin Sunday? Wouldn't that be fun? But these secular songs, the hymns were the secular songs. They were being introduced, and people didn't like it. For example, the words to uh, a, a mighty fortress is our God. Was written by Martin Luther, but the tune was a popular drinking song from the bars of Germany, and they brought him into the church. But now, 400 years later, the church returned to singing the Psalms, uh, and uh, people react strongly, saying that they're lightweight and they're 7-Eleven songs, and and they don't carry the same uh, inf- or the same meat as a, as a hymn. But in a lot of cases, these songs are coming right out of the Bible. Now, again, it it's just preference, but we have to remember that. See, traditions, guardrails can be really important. They can help you to know uh, as we're learning the faith, as we're, we don't want to upset people or we don't want to do things the wrong way. Um, but if we just get so stuck on those, then all of a sudden that's our religion, the tradition itself. And the things that really matter, well, they're kind of being thrown off to the side or maybe never even being taught. Um, the, the issue happens is whenever I say, well, um, this works for me. This helps me to be strong. I know if I avoid this, um, then I'll, I'll be a better person. 
Uh, so then that means you have to do it too. Even though it doesn't say it in the Bible, you've got to follow the same traditions I follow. Um, and because if they're good for me, they're good for everyone. Well, that's what was happening here in this in this text. Um, the Pharisees, what they were doing, they weren't just making religion harder. They were making it something that it wasn't. See, Jesus gave an example. He says, it says, um, Jesus says, you have, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. We should teach this in kids' church. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. You do many things like that. Uh, So what this meant, this idea of Corban, this is his example of what they were doing. And so there's the commandment to honor your father and mother. And so let's just just pretend today uh, I have a million dollars. Now, I don't really have a million dollars, but we're going to pretend that. And we're going to pretend that my parents are aging and they really need my help. Uh, they, they can't eat without, without my help. Now, I have three siblings, so they can take care of them, but, but it's on me right now. So I've got this money, but I'm going to make a pledge because I'm super spiritual. Uh, so I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to pledge this million dollars to God. Now my parents come and, and they say, I, I really need your help. I said, well, I'd like to. Maybe that's not even true. But I made this pledge, uh, and so I can't use this money now to help you because then I would be taking it from God, and we're not going to do that. That's, that's what they were doing. However, my kids, let's say they want to they wanna go to Disney World next summer, and, and uh, so I'm going to take them. I'm going to use some of that money. I can use it for myself. And I want a new car, so I'm going to buy a new car too. I can use that for myself. But since I made the pledge, I can't help my parents. That's, that's what the Pharisees, the religious leaders were doing. And let's say, let's say I changed my mind. And I say, you know what, I'm going to use this to help my parents. And I go in and I talk to one of the religious leaders, and, and I say, hey, I really need to help. And they'll say, no, you can't. You made the pledge. See, they were, they were keeping them from doing good. They were keeping the people from obeying God with these traditions. Exodus 20, verse 7, one of their very laws, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. It's not about saying God's name in a way that's disrespectful, although we shouldn't do that, misusing the name, using God's name so that I look spiritual, but I'm actually disobeying him, or I make myself look good for everyone else, but really I don't care about God at all. That's what they were doing here. It was just one example, but Jesus kept going. He said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. What he was trying to say is your traditions, your actions, your efforts, they don't make you right with God. He had to clear things up a little bit. The Pharisees were putting so much weight on people. If you want to follow God, you have to do all this stuff. And it wasn't necessary. Some Jewish traditions made life pretty difficult. These were the people who were following, trying to follow God at the time. For example, looking in, into a mirror was forbidden because if you looked in the mirror on the Sabbath day and you saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to pluck it, and then uh, you would be working on the Sabbath. You couldn't wear your false teeth because if they fell out, you couldn't pick them up. That was work. You couldn't carry a, uh, like a handkerchief on, on the Sabbath, but you could wear it. And so if you're upstairs and you have one on, or maybe you have a cold, and you think, I'm just going to grab this and carry it down the stairs. I'm going to have to blow my nose. I know that. You couldn't do that. 
but you could tie it around your neck, walk down the stairs, untie it, and then use it. Just, just things that are so odd. The rabbis debated a man about a man with a wooden leg. If, if his house caught on fire, could he carry it out on, of the house on the Sabbath? You could spit on the Sabbath, but if you, if you spit in the dirt and you used your sandal to kind of rub it in, you were cultivating the ground. Couldn't do that. That's work. I mean, some of these traditions, some of these thing, these laws, just on washing hands, I think it was 30, 35 or 36 laws on how you had to wash your hands. It's just too much. It wasn't necessary. It wasn't beneficial. And so Jesus is clearing things up. Now, I want to focus not just on what he said to the Pharisees, but also what he said to his disciples afterwards. Verse 17, he says, it says, After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. It's a nice digestive lesson. Uh, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. Again, not, not through the digestive process, but from the heart. He says, for it is with, from, from within, out of the person's heart, the evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Completely different as to how they were making it look. The traditions. It's all about what we do. Because no, it's, it's what's in your heart. Well, there's a, a, a pretty big message in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, you'll read the, the Sermon on the Mount. And even if you don't have it memorized or even know it all, I'm sure you've heard many of these ideas. But in Matthew 5, 5 verse 20, um, Jesus said this, and I want you to consider all this stuff that we just read in Mark 7, it's really saying the Pharisees got it wrong. But he says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The people who were trying harder than anyone else to not break the laws, and he says, unless you're more righteous than these people, you're out. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, it's all the ways that we think that we live up to our faith by just following rules, but we actually don't. He's, he's telling us that, that being good enough uh, to be saved is, is, is not difficult. It's impossible. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these people who worked very hard to never sin, if they're not in, then, then who's in? You can't be good enough. That's, that's what he was trying to tell them. Through, through following the laws and the traditions, you can't be good enough. But they're at, a, they're at a, different, a different place than we are. See, we're at a place where we hear the gospel. I assume everyone in here has heard about Jesus and that, uh, that he was God's son, and he came to earth, and he took our place on the cross, and he died for our sins. And then he, he conquered death by raising to new life. And if we would accept him as our Lord and our Savior, you know, our master and, and the way to God, um, then, then we will be in heaven for eternity. We'll be saved. But at this time, they, they didn't know all that yet. They didn't know in fullness, at least. And so what Jesus was doing was not uh, really sharing the gospel, but he was calling them to a greater commitment. It, it looked like he was saying, guys, the bar is here because the Pharisees, and we're going to put it down here. We're going to lower the bar. But actually, he was, he was raising the bar. 
to a place that we can't even get. He was trying to tell him, you guys, no matter what you think the bar is, yet you'll never get over it. Not alone. Not by yourself. And so he called them to a commitment uh, and, and, and so that they would uh, live differently based off of, off of what he puts in their heart and not what's a good show. And, and so I'm not going to read all the passages here, but right after that passage of, of, of the Pharisee's righteousness, and if you're not good enough, you're not in, he spells out what it looks like to be committed. He says, he says over and over again, you have heard that it was said this, but I tell you this. He, he, he says not, not just murder, but anger as well. It's on the same level. See, more families are destroyed because of anger than murder. Uh, more marriages are destroyed not because of murder, but because of anger. You probably, if you go to a work environment that's not healthy, I assume there's not a lot of murder going on. You should probably leave if so, but there might be a lot of anger. And, and so Jesus is showing that this is not just about the rules, but this is about living in a different way. Not only adultery, but lust. It's no secret that pornography is a huge issue today. Um, but think about when this was written. What, was it, what would he have been referring to? Um, it was a heart issue. Comparing your spouse to the person next door. Objectifying people for your own personal satisfaction. It ruins relationships and it ruins people's lives. He says not only divorce, but selfishness. If we only divorce because, um, because we're not happy, uh, then maybe, maybe that person's the problem. Not only lying, but deceiving. Maybe we don't say bold lies or, or clear lies, but we just leave out details and information. Well, you're either honest or you're not. You can't walk the line. You can't say, well, I followed these rules, so I'm good. We're following Jesus or we're not. We have to quit asking questions like, well, how, how good do I have to be? Or, or what's enough? We won't like the answers. Now, what they saw and what we, what we know is, is different. We have more information. We have more scriptures. We have a, a, a bigger picture. And, and so what I've, wanted to, what I've shared so far is really just part of the gospel. It's not all of it. So I, I want to read a passage as we go into communion that I think will help us to um, recognize both why we take communion, uh, but also that will tie this together with the rest of the gospel, or at least more of it. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So what, what that says is basically what we've, um, what we've covered so far. You can't save yourself. No matter how hard you try, no matter how good you think you are, you're not good enough to be in heaven. That's for all of us but it keeps going, fortunately. Verse 21, But now apart from the law, the righteousness, righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So there was a purpose. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Some traditions can be helpful. Uh, some of them are, are very helpful. We take communion every Sunday. Uh, it's not to make ourselves look good. It's not so that we can say, well, I took communion this week and now I'm, I'm going to be good for another week. 
And then when I come back next week, I'll, it'll take care of those sins. No, it's not like that either. It's a reminder of how we can be made right with God. The bar is, is really high, and the only way to get over it is through Jesus. He's the only one that can, to, to, who can make us right with God. And so what we do from this scripture, it says, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's a, it's a gift. It's free to all of us if we would believe in Jesus, the, the gospel, that he's the son of God, the savior of the world, the one who, who conquered death, and the one who gives us new life. And so as we, as we go, I hope it will help us to change our mindset a little bit, um, maybe just think through why we do the things we do, why we hold to certain traditions. And I don't, as a church, but even personally, you know, maybe some things just become habits. But this is a, this is a reminder uh, that we, our habits aren't enough, our traditions aren't enough, um, the way we do things are not enough, but we need to consider the commands of God and how we can best follow Him. And, and so I don't want to ask, I don't want anyone to ask, how do I do my best to be right with God? Because it's not about doing, it's about receiving. And then once we receive the gospel, once we accept that my only way to God, the only, it's never how much I can do, but my only way to be in heaven, to be with God, is by accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If I accept that gift, then I can ask the question, how do I best serve God when I leave? How do I best share this, this hope, this life-changing hope with those around me? And so, uh, again, it doesn't start with what do I have to do uh, how much do I have to give? Uh, how much do I have to read? Don't start there. It, it first starts with, I'm a sinner. I, I'm, I messed up a lot. I still mess up a lot. And I, I could try really hard, and I might live perfect for the rest of my life. It's still not enough. I'm still separated from God because in, in Him being holy and perfect, I, I, don't, I don't measure up. And if He's not going to be around a sinner, then I'm in trouble. It has to start there. And then remember that he loved me. And he didn't just say it. He sent his son to die in my place so that I could be with him. It starts with that. If you haven't accepted this gift of new life, if you don't know what I mean by Jesus is your Savior and Lord, uh, please come and talk to me. I, w I want you to understand this because once that part is there, then the rest really does follow appropriately. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you uh, for the gospel. Uh, when we read these um, these passages in the Bible, and we see that people have been trying really hard for a long time to uh, to be with you, to know you, to understand you, and we're just not going to do it. We're not going to get there. We'll never fully understand you or 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 know you uh, while we're here on earth. But you revealed to us exactly what we need to know, uh, the example and the life of your Son Jesus. And, and so I pray as we take communion that we remember. Uh, that that you are a a loving, a sacrificially loving God, who would do anything uh, for us. I pray that it takes weight off of off of us if we're carrying things that we shouldn't be carrying. That we would just trust you with our lives, uh, both now and forever. So I thank you for this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.